Hi guys, and welcome to the Fell Fighters podcast, a show that celebrates the art of learning from your mistakes. My name is Thomas Voboda, and I'm your host for this episode. Today, we're going to be talking to Michel Le Calais, a French native but global citizen, an entrepreneur and founder of Wall Street English in Southeast Asia, who successfully exited all of his companies, and now as an angel investor, he's helping to young entrepreneurs achieving their dreams. This talk, we're going to be chatting about difficulties of opening a business in Asian markets with completely different cultures and values. Also, how to differentiate from our competitors and which business ideas are sharp bites and which ones are mosquito bites. Michel had many fellows in his life, which he will be sharing today. And for this, we are happy to have him on today's Fellow Fighters show. So without further ado, Mr. Michel Lekelek. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Fellow Fighters podcast. Today, we have a host here, Mr. Michel Lekelek. Uh, Michel, welcome to our podcast. Hello, Thomas. Thank you for inviting me tonight. Uh, Michel, at the beginning, um, would you please introduce yourself? Sure. So I'm French. I was born in, in France, but I grew up in Africa uh, until I was 18 in many different countries, Madagascar, Algeria, Senegal, Ethiopia, Cameroon. Then I did my bachelor degree in France in a business school. Then I walked uh, abroad again in, in Madagascar, in Mauritius Island, Reunion Island, in sales, working for Xerox. Then I did my MBA in New York, um, then joined uh, Citibank uh, in Europe, where I worked in different European countries, uh, London, Luxembourg, Monte Carlo, and then uh, worked for Standard Chartered Bank back in Africa, South Africa, Botswana, Kenya, <laughs> Ivory Coast. So that's why I see myself as a citizen of the world. True, true global, global citizen. So Michel, right now you are living in Asia. Um, you are a successful entrepreneur who builds um, English schools for adults in Southeast Asia, and we are Fellow Fighters podcast. So I would like to know what difficulties and what uh, mistakes you had when you were establishing businesses here. Okay, so I came to Asia when I was uh, about 40 and, and I started my, my first uh, business as an entrepreneur when I was 42. Even though I had experience working with different cultures, the first mistake I did uh, when I started uh, Wall Street English in, in Thailand was not to understand uh, the Thai culture and the Thai values well enough. So I, re I still remember uh, two days after I opened my first school, I lost my complete uh, telemarketing team because during a meeting, uh, I, I, the, the head of telemarketing lost face, the way I spoke to her. Mm. Uh, and I mean, having do done my MBA in, in the US, having worked for Citibank, which is an American culture, I used to be quite direct with my employees and, and in Asia, uh, of course, you have to adapt. So that's mm -hmm. one of the first mistakes I made. It took me some time to, to learn. I mean, thanks God, I had a Thai friend who was a coach who made me realize and discover that my approach was wrong. So that's something that Europeans or anybody who is not from Asia has to be careful. You have to learn uh, the Thai culture, Mm -hmm. the Asian culture, the Asian values. Mm -hmm. um, what was the, the first mistakes you did when you, when you came to Asia? Well, that, that was the first one. It was about 
making people lose face, being mm-hmm. too direct. Another mistake was maybe not to spend enough time with the team, not having lunch, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. dinner, not knowing about their personal life, any challenges they may have uh, with families. Uh, again, in Asia, it's like that. In Europe, very few people do that. You, you're supposed to, to do your job. I think in Asia, you, you are more part of a team and, and you, you, you need to know the people much more in details. Mm-hmm. I also know about you that um, you built Wall Street English in other Asian countries. What's the differences and what difficulties you are facing when opening Wall Street in Indonesia and, for example, Vietnam? I think I learned from my first experience in Thailand to understand the culture. So when I went to Indonesia, I was a bit more careful with the mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. and I, I did not make so much mistakes regarding regarding uh, how to, to work with people over there. But I lacked experience at building a strong team and recruiting a team that complement each other. I also lacked some experience at adapting my coaching to each person because you can't treat everybody as the same. I mean, men and women behave differently. Some people, you know, are more red, they are more intense, some people are more analytical, some people are more emotional. And that's something that took me time to really understand and and, and become myself emotionally intelligent to adapt my, my coaching style uh, to each person. So, so that was, I would say, the second big mistake I made at the beginning. I was I was... But my leadership style was too similar with everybody. What did it cost you, your first mistake? Well, it cost me to, to lose people, uh, good people. And, and as you know, when you are an entrepreneur, um, you need to be careful with your cash. And maybe you don't realize that recruiting people, of course, costs money. You have to pay headhunter or... Uh, it costs you time, it costs you training money, and it costs you uh, it costs you basically getting good results. So it's it's probably the most expensive mistake you can make: not recruiting the right people who fit with the culture of your company, mm. but who have a passion for the solution you are offering to whatever problem you are solving. Uh, because if, if you keep losing them and you keep recruiting, retraining, uh, then then it's becoming a vicious cycle and then you lose other people. Okay? So, so the third big mistake I made was not to check enough if my team was working well together. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because you, you lose one, then you lose a second one, then you lose a third one. And, and I, I discovered over time that the key is, as a, as a leader, to make sure that everybody works well together, but knowing that there will always be problems. You cannot expect everybody to, to get on well all the time. Mm-hmm. So you will have tensions between people, and the role of, of the leader is to detect this tension and to solve them very quickly. Mm-hmm. Now, later, what I learned is that sometimes you cannot 
solve all the tensions. Sometimes some people cannot adapt to the rest of the team, even though they are extremely good on their own, extremely performant. And one mistake I made was to keep high performers in a team because short-term they were delivering sales results, but long-term they were destroying the team. And then when you lose the team, then it's becoming very expensive to re-recruit, retrain. Mm. Okay. Mm. So, so, so what I've learned, especially when I came to, to Vietnam, was to be very selective in my recruitment, to really clarify the culture, the challenge, motivate the people about what we are going to do, mm-hmm. and then to constantly check how the team was working together. And as soon as I realized that somebody most probably will never fit in the team, cut. Even though, usually it was a high performer. And even though it's tough sometimes to replace that person, mm-hmm. and until you replace that person, you suffer because you have nobody doing the job. But it's better to cut now than to keep, keep and hope they will fit the team. Usually they do not. I absolutely agree. Uh, I was reading one book. It's called Extreme Ownership. And also it was speaking about there are no bad teams, but there are bad leaders. Mm. So you can have high performer who is ruining the whole atmosphere and the whole performance of the whole team. And when you get rid of it, the whole team will actually raise, rise up, right? With the, with the performance. Um, what kind of requirements you are seeking or you were seeking in Vietnam uh, when you were hiring people that you learned from these mistakes in Indonesia and Thailand? Okay, so I think I improved my recruitment technique, which is not easy. And in fact, it's an advice I would give to any entrepreneur. Learn to recruit and, and make sure that whatever technique you are using is used by all your top team. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, hopefully, it's a, it's a proven method. So the, the way I recruit today, first, I'm super clear on the culture of my company. Mm-hmm. I'm super clear on what problem I'm solving, the big problem, a shark's bite. We can talk about it later. Uh, and why we are solving that problem. So when I interview people, I want to, f- to check if they will fit with the culture. I mean, Wall Street English, for example, we are open seven days a week from, from nine o'clock in the morning until 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. So the culture is, it's high work. Uh, it's intensive, it's result-oriented. Every month we have to find new customers. So you need to be fast. Uh, we have crisis, so you need to react fast. So it's not an easy environment, but it's a fantastic environment for learning, uh, making money, okay, and, and working as a team. So that was the culture. It's fast, it's meritocratic, and you need to learn all the time. So I, I first checked if the candidates are happy with this kind of environment. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how do you check that? Well, you check where they worked before. Okay. Uh, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is to really check what they are good at. Okay. Um, and, and I'm always surprised when I ask candidates, okay, what can you do for me very, very well? Very few people can answer clearly, this is what I'm good at, okay? And then I dig, I dig, I'm trying to find uh, from their past experience what natural talent they have. And, and to do that, you need to have 
very clear scorecard of what you recruit the person for. Because if you are not super clear what that person is going to do for you, then you cannot recruit, frankly. Because people will, will tell you stories, they'll tell you, they lie to you probably. Yeah, yeah. But if you have a clear scorecard, then then it's much easier. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what I learned. And that's what I would encourage every entrepreneur practice recruiting, having um, a proven method. Wall mm -hmm. um, English is a English tool for adults. How did you differentiate from others competitors on the market? Okay, very good question. Um, as you said, it's a school for adults. And by doing some market research, I realized that in Asia, in fact, very few competitors only teach English to adults. You know, they, they teach English to kids, to teenagers, to test prep. Um, and, and I realized that for adults, basically, they have a major problem. They don't know where to go. Uh, because, frankly, they don't want to teach with, to learn with kids. They don't feel comfortable. Okay. So, so when I discovered the, the Wall Street franchise, the Wall Street method, I said, this is perfect. Having said that, once you've identified a major problem, you need to find a solution that really answers the problem. Meaning I had to dig a bit more to understand what features my teaching method had to have to solve their problem, which is we are adults, we don't want kids, but they want something else. So I discovered that, you know, adults are busy. Mm. Um, they, they need some kind of flexibility because they miss classes. And the traditional uh, way of learning English, you follow a fixed program. And if you mix, if you miss a class, then you have, it's very difficult for you to catch up. While with the Wall Street method, because you study at your own rhythm and it's a blended method combining a class with teachers, but with, uh, with, uh, online learning, uh, it's, it's much, uh, better adapted to adults. So when I advertised, then I, I didn't say school of English for adults. I said school of English for busy adults. So people knew, okay, that's me. I'm an adult. I'm busy. I want a method that understands me. Okay. And that helped me to build the brand very quickly. Okay. Now from my past experience uh, with, with Citibank and uh, where I, I, I was involved in, in building brand for the retail banking units, I knew I had to stick to one message for three, four years because it takes time to build the brand. So in Vietnam, I had this message, School of English for Busy Adults. Mm -hmm. you know, and I kept having it on the internet, on billboards, in, on the press, everywhere. Uh, and I think after three, four years, Wall Street was known for that. Mm -hmm. okay? And then, of course, the competition tried to catch up on me. Okay? But it was too late because in people's mind, who is the School of English for Busy Adults? Wall Street. Mm -hmm. Okay? And, and the competitors who teach kids cannot say, hey, we teach adults. Yeah, also, but you are not a specialist. So, so I suppose my advice here is you need to really understand what problem you are solving. Mm -hmm. You need to understand what features in your solutions your future customers are going to like. Mm -hmm. 
And then you can spend your marketing money in a smart way. And then you go big. Mm-hmm. You go big and you go fast. So you don't let the competition react. And then you build your brand. And then you sell the company. And after some time, you sell the company, yes. Tell me the journey about from building to selling. How long does it took you? It, take, it took me on average per country five years. Five years? Yes. Five years. Uh, once I reach 10,000 students per year, mm-hmm. every year, okay, uh, I think it's time for me to sell because my passion is in building businesses, not growing them, you know, forever. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm good at, identifying a problem, coming with solutions, doing an effective marketing, building a strong team. And, and the team that you need to do a startup is different than a team that you will need for growing a business much more. Now, 10,000 students, it's quite reasonable. I mean, Wall Street was making about $20 million revenue mm. per year per country. Mm. Okay, So it's not that small, but it's not that big also. Uh, and for me, that's what I enjoy doing. So I do that, and then I sell, and I let somebody else grow the business further. When you were selling um, your first Wall Street, in that time, did you think to sell it or the offer came to you? You know, no. In fact, I, I never looked for buyers. I mean, in Asia today, there is a, a lot of private equity, venture capitalists, or even angel investors who, who are looking for, for businesses. Mm. My experience is that if you build a brand well, people will come to you. They'll know. Mm-hmm. They'll know. And so in my three countries, Thailand, Indonesia, and Vietnam, I've always been approached. And in fact, it was me saying, okay, let's cool down. No need to... People insist, you know. And uh, so I made a few mistakes also. I think I sold Thailand too soon enough. Okay. Okay. And I think Vietnam, when I sold, it was interesting. I didn't want to sell. I wanted to build Hanoi also. Again, I was approached by family office and, and they, they, they convinced me they could help. Okay. So at the end, I said, okay, let's do business together. Mm-hmm. So what Michelle is doing now? So at the moment, uh, I have a non-compete clause with uh, the buyer of, of Wall Street Vietnam, so I'm not involved in uh, English uh, education. So what I do, uh, I act as an angel investor, mm-hmm. uh, listening to startup entrepreneurs, uh, and I've invested in a few projects. Plus, I find it super interesting to, to see these young people coming with ideas and try to guide them. What surprised me is that most startup entrepreneurs go too fast, uh, meaning they, they don't identify really what problem they are solving. And is it a big problem? Is it what I call a shark's bite? Mm-hmm. Or is it a small problem, a mosquito bite? Mm-hmm. And as you know, if, if you are bitten by a shark, you know, you'll pay anything to be get an operation from a good hospital because it's serious. Yeah. If you have a mosquito bite, probably you won't pay much. Okay? So I see this young entrepreneur having an idea. Sounds logic. 
but they don't check if the problem is big enough so people will pay for it and it will not be too difficult to convince them to pay. So they go too fast. They also don't check, that, so they assume the problem is big, then they launch their prototype. Sometimes it's not a prototype, sometimes it's already a product. Mm -hmm. And they've not checked what features of the product their future customer like the most. So they build a lot of features, takes time, takes money. So, and then when they advertise, again, what feature should they advertise more than others? What problem are they, are they fixing? And usually they are not clear. So they, they spend a lot of money on advertising that does not really work. Okay. And, and then some, if they have enough cash, okay, they try, they try and some make it, but a lot don't because they don't have enough cash. They don't get enough good leads. Uh, and they don't have enough money to advertise anymore and mm -hmm. they go bankrupt. Mm -hmm. So my advice to the startup entrepreneur that I, I meet, he says, do your market research first. Make sure you've identified a shark bite, a problem for which people will pay. So you make enough money, not only to cover your cost, but also to make profit. Okay? And, and by the way, how much money do you want to make? And some young entrepreneurs are not clear also on how much they want to make. Or mm. they say the sky is the limit. I say, well, sure, but you need to have some target for your one, your two, your three, okay? because your strategy will vary depending on what is your goal. Do you want to make $1 million, $2 million, $3 million? That's another mistake. Mm. People are not super clear on their exit strategy. Mm. Okay? They, they focus on the experience. So it's much more important to, I think it's very important to identify a problem and say how much this problem can give me at the end. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then if uh, you, when you do your math, do your projections, you cannot reach your target. Maybe the problem is not big enough. Okay. Or you say, okay, I accept a lower target, but I'm learning. Okay? But my advice would be have a target a very inspiring target and go for it because your methodology and your approach will be different. I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. When I launched uh, my first business in Thailand, my objective was to make 10 million US dollars. So I bought the Wall Street franchise. I did my projections and I said, okay, after five years, probably I can make 10 million dollars if I sell that business. I did it. But then in the same time, I met other entrepreneurs who made 100 million US dollars. But their approach was completely different. They had a business that they could scale much more than mine because mine, I need to find schools, I need to recruit teachers, I need to recruit uh, salespeople. So it was much more difficult to scale mm. than other businesses which are more online. Okay. So the point I'm trying to make here is if you are an entrepreneur, what do you expect at the end? Do you want to learn to become an entrepreneur? Fair enough. But even if you want to learn, I really suggest you have a clear exit strategy and a clear target because your approach will depend of your target. You can't have the same approach if you want to make $100 million than if you want to make $1 million. Yeah. And the bigger the problem usually, the more you can scale.
you mentioned that you invested in a few projects, but I'm interested um, if you can share some example, one or two examples in which projects you invested. This is the shark bite and maybe some examples of mosquito bites. Mm. Yeah, so so sharks bite I I can mention because I think I think I believe in the project. Mm. Uh, so I've invested in a few real estate projects. Mm-hmm. I, I believe uh, Vietnam is changing a lot at the moment. Uh, young couples want to live on their own, so they want to have their own apartment. They don't live with their parents anymore. So investing in real estate. Building uh, not too far from Ho Chi Minh City, where basically a young couple can buy an apartment for fifty, sixty thousand US dollar, mm-hmm. I think makes a lot of sense uh, because, as you know, Ho Chi Minh is growing. More people come from the countryside, so they need to live somewhere. I also think that it's difficult to find good offices uh, at a reasonable price. Mm-hmm. I mean, in District One, you pay thirty to forty US dollar per square meter. District Three, fifteen um, to twenty-five, uh, and business is is booming in in Vietnam. So you should find office buildings where you can put a back office team. Probably not pay more than ten to twenty. Mm-hmm. So I've invested also in in uh, real estate in terms of uh, office. Now, going back to new way of life in Vietnam. I'm, I'm talking about these young couples who live on their own. They both work usually. Mm-hmm. They have some long commuting because they don't live in District 1 or District 3 anymore. They live in District 9 or basically around Ho Chi Minh. They go home, they get tired, they get kids. Um, I think more and more parents would like to have food delivered mm-hmm. so they don't have to cook. Okay, so for, for their young kids. Uh, so I think I think there is a a serious problem. I mean, moms are tired. Um, so if you can provide good food, uh, guarantee the quality for the children, I think I think it's a big business. Uh, and then once you gain the trust of the parents uh, that your product is good, you can propose other things to the parents, maybe food for them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or you could propose English class for the kids and the mom. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's all about getting the trust and then building on it. So these are ideas I I believe in um, because I think it's a real problem and uh, it's going to increase more and more. You can see the traffic. Uh, yeah. And if you compare with Europe, I know people get tired. They don't want to cook. Okay, so now, now you have to be careful because you have to be sure that the food is good quality and you don't become too fat. So yeah. you don't damage your health. I've I've been exposed to other ideas where I was not convinced that the problem was big enough to spend my my time and my money mm-hmm. um, like like a membership one. I, I don't want to talk about this idea because people are still trying to launch the idea. Okay, yes. but basically, if I think the problem is is not big enough and uh, it's going to take my time, but the result is going to be minimum. I pass mm-hmm. because I'm 62 years old and my time is precious now. And I, I really want to do businesses that I think I can scale and can contribute to better life of people. 
Okay, and if I do that, uh, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Okay, because if I scale, I touch more people, and if I touch more people, I help more people. Nice. Um, I also know about you that right now you are focusing on playing golf, mm-hmm. and so you mentioned to me some analogy uh, with business. Mm. So, what can you share about, uh, let's say? How when you are like right now learning playing golf and how let's say what kind of mistakes you are doing which can be comparing to the business? Mm, very good. So yeah, two years ago I uh, I was playing about twenty to twenty five uh, handicap in golf and uh, you know every time I hit a ball I'm not too sure what's going to happen where the ball goes. So again I said okay let's have a clear target. I wanted to play single handicap, so playing below 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted to know that when I hit the ball, I know what I'm doing. And and most probably <laughs> the ball is going to go in the direction I want and to the distance I want. So I I, I approach this challenge in a very uh, systematic way, like, like I did in business, uh, by uh, practicing, taking lessons from coaches, But what is funny with golf is that even when coaches show you what to do and tell you what to do, what you do and what you feel you do is not in fact what you really do. So so let me be more clear. Let's say I want to have a shorter backswing, but when I see myself on video, in fact, my backswing is not that short, but it feels to me short. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's only when I see the video that I realize, wow, it's not that short. Then I believe the coach, when he tells me, no, your backswing is too long. So it's this feedback that I cannot challenge because I, I see myself on the video. And I think in business is the same. Sometimes, most of the time, in fact, when you get feedback, you challenge the feedback because your perception is that the feedback is wrong. Like my perception is that No, I'm doing a short backswing, but in fact, the video show me I'm wrong. So my advice to people when they get feedback is be careful because your perception of what you do could be wrong. Maybe the feedback is real when your coach is telling you, hey, your backswing is too long or in a sales presentation, your your body posture is wrong. Maybe it's true. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So So use video. Use record your tone of voice uh, because yeah, I, I think otherwise you never change, you know, because you don't realize what you really do. I agree, and uh, feedback is also very often not um, not taken properly because what people are doing when you trying to give feedback is that they want to react on it, they want to apologize for that, or they just want to explain themselves. Mm. But the feedback is exactly that this is how I see you, mm. so you should accept that. Because I'm giving you, of course, positives, but at the same time, things what you need to improve. Mm. And you just need to accept it this way. Mm. Yes, and what surprised me, you know, I'm, I'm spending since one year about five, six hours per day at the driving range. And I see how other people practice mm. and learn. And I'm shocked that so few people are ready to change their approach. Okay, even though the coach tell them do this, do that, or when we talk, and, and they, they keep asking me, why do you take, why do you keep taking lessons, investing money? I say, because my goal is very clear. I want to be single handicap, 
and there is no way I can be single handicap if I cannot hit my driver 250 yards. And to hit my driver 250 yards, I need to do something differently. And these players say, well, uh, I, okay, I don't hit my driver, I hit my three-wood. Uh, then you'll never be single handicap. And they say, well, it's okay. So, again, it comes back to what is your target? Do you want to be single handicap? Do you want to make $1 million? Or do you want to make $10 million? Or $100 million? Because your approach will be different. And the feedback you're going to need to get will be different. So people say, but you must be fed up to get criticized all the time. Say, no, the criticize, it's, it's how to improve my game. Mm. And I really think that very few people, in fact, accept feedback. And what I've noticed, entrepreneurs are quite confident. And they believe that what they do is correct. Sometimes you have to be a bit modest and accept the feedback, okay? Or, or use videos and, and records to really realize what you are doing. It was a very nice summary and um, we are coming to the end. Just a last question. Um, if the young entrepreneurs with uh, some very good ideas, they would like to approach you, uh, how they can contact you? Well, you have you have my my email address, so uh, please ask them to to contact me. Just ask them to have a clear short bite, mm -hmm. okay? So okay. so they don't waste their time and they don't waste my time. So they should do a bit of homework to find out. Uh, and, and today with with digital advertising, you can do a lot of A/B testing. Uh, think it's not too difficult to identify if the problem you're trying to solve is, is big enough. Another thing that I recommend is do ethnography, you know, uh, observe people, observe how they live and see what problem they have. Okay. Don't, don't assume from far that go to their home or go to their work and see how they behave with others. Okay. So ethnography is very efficient market research, probably more than just sending emails or mm -hmm. you learn so much by observing people, mm -hmm. asking a few questions. So that's what I would recommend also. But yeah, please feel free to share my email address and then people can approach me. Yeah, we can, we will definitely share it in um, information of this podcast. So people can see your email there and they can approach you directly. And uh, I would like to thank you for your time, for coming in our podcast. And uh, it was a very, very nice uh, conversation. So thank you very much, Michel. Thank you, Thomas. Bye. Thanks for listening to this interview with me and Michel Lekalek. To all entrepreneurs out there who would like to get a feedback on your business ideas, make sure you do your homework. And if you think your idea is a shark bite, don't hesitate to send Michel an email, which is mentioned in this podcast description. I would like to take a moment now and talk about the key takeaways of Michel's sharing, which are essential to all fail fighters out there. If you aspire to create a great startup, consider if your idea is a real problem solver and also have a clear target what you want to get from it. Possibly find yourself a coach and surround yourself by people who can provide you structured feedback and make sure you are ready to properly accept them. Also find the right people who can help you build your project and don't hesitate to let go of those who may be high performers but cannot work well in a team. As Michel mentioned, in short term, they deliver results, but in long term, they are destroying the team. If you like this interview, please subscribe to our podcast, Fail Fighters, where we share interviews with super interesting and successful people who are sharing their failures and how they overcame them. Each interview will be accompanied by deeper exploration of the key lessons of their failures. And with that being said, we really appreciate you listening to the show 
and we would like to hear from you and need to know what you think about what we are doing. So go ahead and check out our Facebook at facebook.com slash failfighters or Instagram at instagram.com slash failfighters. Like, comment, post or message us anything interesting. Maybe if there is anybody that you'd like to be on the show, please let us know. All right, that's it from this show today. And as always, guys, keep failing forward.